by JesusWire.com with your host, Jessica Morris. Merry Christmas, friends! Welcome to the latest episode of Between You and Me podcast, a very Christmassy episode today where we talk about the things that hurt, heal and change us in the music industry and in life. My name is Jessica Morris and now I know that we have an episode every two weeks but I was like it's Christmas, we're about to go on break and I don't want to leave you guys hanging. I mean I know that we've got a whole bunch of episodes you can catch up on or re-listen to if you want to but there's never enough Christmas in my life. So today we are speaking to a very special guest. Sarah Groves is one of the most acclaimed Christian singer-songwriters out there. She is profoundly open about her journey through mental health and she has just released a Christmas album. There is a total of like four days until Christmas, which means that after you listen to this episode, you can go to Spotify or go to Apple iTunes, click stream or download and listen to this non-stop or add it into your mix for quite a few days so we do have enough time to celebrate the season in all its glorious wonderfulness and you are so very welcome because I love this. And basically today you are getting to hear Jessica's love language which is Christmas so I hope you enjoy it. Before we head into this episode a reminder that you will hear a very quick intro about Sarah. Consider it her 101, what she's accomplished, what she's achieved and a little bit about our Christmas album. Then we will dive straight into the interview and you will hear some Christmas carol goodness. You are so very welcome my friends. Sarah Groves has never just been a singer-songwriter. Since the release of her first album, Past the Wishing, in 1998, she has walked the line of being a creative, fully invested in authenticity and justice. Perhaps this came from her prior experience gaining a science degree in history and English, or was amplified by her time working as a teacher before she entered the industry. But whatever the reason, Sarah has consistently sought to use her music for the good. The Minnesota locals started gaining ground in the Christian music industry come 2001 when her third album, All Right Here, reached 35 on the Christian charts. The same year, she appeared on two Word Entertainment compilation records and by the time she released her follow-up, The Other Side of Something, in 2002, she had a loyal following that sprung the new album to number 16 on the charts. She was nominated for the New Artist of the Year Dove Award that same year and continued to pick up momentum. Nominations, awards and recognition followed for Sarah, including Album of the Year by CCM Magazine for 2005's Add to the Beauty. And behind the scenes, she utilised her platform to step into a social justice space. 2006 film Nomad, Sarah Groves, Just Showed Up For My Life, gave fans a behind the scenes look at her career and detailed how she was compelled to step into the social justice space. It was after she read Philip Gorovich's We Wish To Inform You That Tomorrow Will Be Killed With Our Families. This prompted her work with Hurricane Katrina relief efforts and she also joined Saddleback Church on a trip to Rwanda, Africa and learned about the long-term impact of the genocide and reconciliation. Her 2007 album, Tell Me What You Know, was a game-changer in Sarah's career. Not only did the album peak at number one on the Christian charts, but it made its mark on the Billboard 200, reaching 72, and it also peaked at number two on the Heat Seekers chart. The album spent one week at the top of the iTunes Christian Music Charts and Come Year End was number two on the Album of the Year chart. 
A slew of touring followed for Sarah, with the likes of everyone from Andrew Peterson to Jaza Clay, Sandra McCracken, Brandon Heath, Sixpence on the Richer and Leland. Her art music justice tour raised funds for the International Justice Mission. She still partners with To This Day to End Human Trafficking, and she also contributed Food for the Hungry. Sarah joined other artists when she stepped into prison ministry on the Love Came Down tour the year after. She continued to add a whole new layer of vulnerability to her music when in 2009 Sarah released Fireflies and Songs, which included details about her struggle with anxiety on stage. It was named Christianity Today's Album of the Year, and she also held her first solo Christmas tour the same year, dropping a live recording of Holy Night tour live at the prison show. Sarah Groves was on a roll. After a decade in the Christian music industry, she was well-loved, well-respected, and still gaining well-deserved accolades for her work. Her album, Invisible Empires, recorded in 2011, featured jars of clay Stephen Mason and came out just a month after The Collection, a compilation of her greatest hits. It's also worth noting that the following year, Sarah and her husband opened Art House North in an effort to bring together artists. Today, Sarah continues this tradition by hosting songwriter retreats and workshops. Sarah dived deeper into the space of vulnerability after she experienced depression and anxiety, and she opened up her heart once more with her 2013 album, Floodplain. A profound, raw and sacred piece of work, it saw her experience Jesus in the plains of mental illness. This reached number eight on the Christian Billboard charts, and two years later, she treated our ears to the live recording, Abide With Me, which was recorded in a 110-year-old church. She also continued the tradition of producing her own records with this release, and by the end of the year, she had been nominated for seven dub awards over the totality of her career. Come 2019, and Sarah was back with a new song. Earlier this year, she wrote the song Behold with Robbie C and Propaganda, tasked with merging their genres to create a song for International Justice Mission's Liberate Conference, which would inspire and thank their staff from across the globe. They created a moving song and live video for the performance and were joined by Audrey Assad and Ellie Holcomb to converge on a sacred recording. Now we are at Christmas 2019 and Sarah is back with new music to bookend her previous Christmas record in 2007. The Joy of Every Longing Heart is her first Advent record in a decade and in it we see her tell the stories of the people surrounding Jesus' birth. I spoke to Sarah about what Advent means to her, how Christ and justice go together, and why she chooses to be vulnerable with her struggles. I am so excited for you to hear from this amazing woman and very talented artist. Meet Sarah Groves. I wanted to jump right into your album because when I heard that you're doing Christmas, I was like, perfect. I need, I love Christmas time and I need a Christmas album. And I know that when you're doing it, it's going to be beautiful. And then I heard it was all about Advent. So can you tell me a little bit about Joy of Every Longing Heart and why it's your first Christmas album in over a decade? Yeah, I so my year is made up of touring and traveling around the country. And uh, the band and I last year just were in agreement that we never get tired of pulling out Old Holy Night, which was my first Christmas record made in 2008. And my drummer and I were just talking about how what a joy it is to revisit those songs over and over again. And we just said with, you know, there, there, this story bears up under an infinite number of retellings. And there's so much to to do with Christmas music. And we just started dreaming. And so it kind of came out of our natural sort of we're out playing every year and um, uh, just wanting to tell the story again. And so um, I didn't really approach it thinking, thinking about Advent, but I was definitely... Um, I've always loved the uh, nature of Advent in 
that it's less kind of circled up around the nativity scene and it's more um it's that longing and that waiting um in the paying attention to that um that waiting space and place that we all find ourselves and that definitely the world was as the holy knight says was pining and sin and error and um as the story goes jesus appears and the soul feels its worth that's the lyric in a holy night so i've always been drawn to that um just that moment maybe right before and so the record ended up really uh, uh, more exploring that waiting and that longing the invitation a lot of the songs um oh come oh come emmanuel come the long expected jesus we wait um it kind of in uh, exist in this longing place and um so i wanted to uh or i should say coming out of what we'd done realized oh this really was more of an advent record than a christmas album and um so it was it was a great deal of fun to make it and i always love revisiting old hymns and things like that so it was right up my alley that sounds lovely i i love the idea of the waiting because it's something that we don't often think of at christmas time because it's like hooray jesus is here and it's like but there was a long time before that so i really appreciate it yeah and i think it's where we are right now he's born into a day looks a lot like the day we're living in right now and um so there's a an intensity to that moment that he's born into and right from the get-go his parents are figuring out you know they're fleeing for their lives they're they're facing um social political religious all kinds of stratification and so we can identify with this moment that jesus steps into How has um, looking at Advent and looking at the wider Christmas and Nativity story about God coming to earth in flesh changed or um, nearly moulded your relationship and with God over the years? Yeah, I think, like I said, I think it bears an infinite number of retellings so we can revisit it. It's not the same old, same old. It has something new for us every time we look at it, I think. I think. I think the most beautiful and lovely things do when Jesus says simply consider the lily. I don't think that was just a nice idea. I think when we come back to something as simple as a flower. Um, so likewise, this story has such complexity, such, such simplicity. But I think for me that what resonates over and over again is that this, um, this, the way we understand the story, Jesus leaves a perfect place. He enters suffering that's not his own. And I've I've been sort of drawn to that part of the story for a long time. In my late 20s, I had a, a faith crisis. I had grown up in a tradition where we groomed and groomed our own personal uh, holiness, you know, was kind of the highest goal. And so we were grooming. I find a lot of churches kind of get stuck there where you're grooming and grooming your own personal faith to a point that becomes almost um, blind to, you know, the other aspects of embodied faith. So in my late 20s, I felt very dressed up with nowhere to go um, and that I had been doing all this to what end. And so I was really longing for embodiment to see where people were engaging 
um, not just sort of playing the right belief police or uh, that they were really embodying in in real ways uh, the story of Jesus and, and his calls to call to us to be his body. So I find in that very, that, that changed for me what good news meant. I, I in my late 20s, especially, I was examining and turning it like a gem with many facets. What is good news? It just can't be minimum requirements to get into heaven. It has to be more than that. And I really have come to believe that, you know, Jesus entered our world here. He doesn't mean to just trash this place <laughs> and be, be rid of it, you know, that he has some sort of reconciliation plan for us here and that the kingdom of God is near meant the way of God is close to you. You can participate in it. You can bring it into your life. You can be repairers of the breach. Any place that you find this brokenness, you can be a part of reconciliation. And not only can you be, but it's it's imperative as the hands and feet of what we know as this colossal body of Christ. Um, so the whole the whole idea, the 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 metaphors and then the actual lived reality of the life of Jesus, to me, the way that those all play together are just as an artist and as a person who works with words are just absolutely fascinating. And so I'm drawn to that part of the story of Jesus entering suffering that's not his own and bringing his body here, coming in in flesh to be not just the spiritual idea, but to be physically embodied with us. I love that. And I love that you brought up all these, not the idea, but the truth about the character of God is like full of justice and mercy and and living that out. Because I literally, that was my next question and you answered it in that. And um, I just really appreciated it because when I, I think it's so easy because I've, I've been brought up in the evangelical church doing the Australian version and it's really easy to get stuck in that this is a story and this is how it goes and you're saved. Um, so it's always so, even though it's normal and it should be talked about, it's so encouraging for me to hear that this is the nature of Christ and he came and he suffered and he and he reached out to people on the margins and things like that. And I really appreciate that and the fact that you've managed to bring an activity story and that truth and the character of Christ together in that, which would seem normal, but doesn't always happen. Yes, it's it really saved my faith. I mean, I was really hurting and needing to see Jesus embodied. And um, so these, any time that, you know, these lyrics that talk about his being um, our wisdom and, and leading us in a way that's not just sort of in ideas, but is actually physically leading us. We've put a very high importance on what we believe individually as if, um, and obviously I think that belief matters, but I think that Jesus does not go around talking about what he believes a lot. He's, he's doing another kind of alongside orthodoxy. He's doing a orthopraxy, a practice that is just absolutely mind blowing. It's so beautiful and it's so other, it's so completely different than anything. If we were to really, you know, when we really look at it, it's so different from this very first moment of being born as a poor, to a poor family in a barn. I mean, right from the outset, he he's the story the narrative is being flipped about what we would expect from from god and here jesus comes and he doesn't consider equality with god something to be used to his advantage but instead thinks of others more highly than he does himself and right there right out of the gate it's like that's like no man that's ever (laughs) so every man has said in his heart if i were god if i were running this show i would do these things this way 
And then here, God, it's really, you know, he's been working on man's terms all this time, uh, bending low to work with a, you know, very barbaric man. Uh, and then here he comes to say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to reveal myself. And he's so different. He's so completely other. And it's, it, again, it's such a beautiful and pivotal story and moment that I want to, I get my whole life behind, you know? Um, so that's, yeah, like you said, as a Christian, that matters <laughs> or it should. We wait for a break in the weather, the traffic, a line. We wait for the light of the morning, a truce in the break from our conversation to talk about one of our amazing sponsors. Do you create wedding videos, podcasts, ads, content, maybe even one of those slideshows while you're trying to move your church into the 21st century? Well, Soundstripe is the answer to all your problems. The ultimate music stock site made for video producers, they offer a great variety of high-quality royalty-free songs and have an unlimited licensing model. This is literally one of a kind in the industry. And that is because it was created by musicians. With a monthly or yearly fee, you have unlimited access to world-class music. We are talking composers like Aaron Sprinkle and Matt Winton. Every time you license a song through Soundstripe, the royalty goes straight back to the musician. With curator playlist, new music every week, and more than 30,000 special effects, this is the ultimate source of music for creatives. Trust me, I've been using this since day one with Between You and Me, and I can tell you that any background music you are hearing comes directly from Soundstripe. They are absolutely incredible. When you sign up for Soundstripe today, you can get 10% off using the code UMEPOD. That is soundstripe.com with the code UMEPOD. And now, back to the show. You released a single somewhat recently as well, like with Propaganda and I had Audrey Asad in that called Behold. Can you tell me a bit more about that song and how it came together? I know it's a few months old now. Yeah. We, um, we are advocates with International Justice Mission and we had met in Nashville to learn a little bit more about what the work of IJM, what they were doing currently, some of their needs. We were all going to be a part of the Liberate Conference. Um, so the Liberate Conference was the 20th anniversary of International Justice Mission's work. And um, they're now the largest anti-slavery organization in the world. And and then motivated by their by faith, their faith-based you know, organization, but working in every corner of the world. And um, so we were... Uh, we were together to work on and collaborate on something for the event that we were going to be part of this Liberate conference, but we didn't know it was kind of all held loosely. If we came up with something great, if not, you know, that was fine too. And, um, <laughs> so I really ended up working primarily with um, Robbie C from the Robbie C band and propaganda. And it was, so it was this very much like a congregational worship leader um, and, and Robbie's is a, is a singer songwriter as well, but he, he's in a place of leading worship at churches, um, and teaching on that quite a bit. And then propaganda who's coming from hip hop. Uh, and then I would, I think of myself as more like traditional singer songwriter. So I was merging, we were merging these spaces. And I remember at first it was actually somewhat uncomfortable, even writing like approaches to writing and everything. It was like, why well, wouldn't, 
go at it that way. And so we were trying to figure it out. But over the course of the day, um, it was interesting when we began making uh, musical references. Um, and that's where it started to come together. You know, like Prop said, um, I really like Sigaros. I really like this song on Sigaros that has sort of this a droning kind of thing. And so we uh, we recreated something uh, that had a similar feel to just kind of get started to launch from. And then once props started getting a hold of the themes of um, the idea of why, you know, we, we like the story of the Good Samaritan for the Samaritan that responds, but we haven't asked, why is this man being beaten on the side of the road? Is there something we can do? Are there systems in at work that make this place particularly unsafe for people? And is there something we can do to make this road more travelable, you know, basically bring justice to this, this space? And, um, and so that was kind of his launching idea. And then he was working with the idea of us being accomplices with God, both in we're, we're accomplices in the crimes, in the, in the tragedy and in the uh, dysfunction of our world. And then we're, we get to be uh, co collaborators with God in the redemptive part as well. So um, anyway, it just, it was so exciting to see it come together along that while prop was kind of working on that fleshing out those ideas robbie was writing this gorgeous uh basically corporate worship song and so we then i i brought both pieces home kind of this you know hip-hop spoken word moment and then robbie's worship song and collaborated with john mark nelson who's a local producer um, and robbie c's band to kind of create a, a an experience you know where we were speaking to all these different parts and we knew that Gary Haugen was going to be speaking at the event on this verse, behold, I'm doing a new thing. See, even now I am coming. And I just loved that idea that like in the middle of our, again, it could, this all ties back even to this Christmas record, but even at the darkest moment when we think, you know, there is no hope, I've seen over and over and over again with the work of IJM, even now I am coming, that things that were set in motion a month or a year, 10 years ago are playing out to bring rescue. So um, it was such a powerful moment at the actual event, uh, a fund, uh, uh, not a fundraiser, a, um, a philanthropist of, that supports IJM had stepped up and said, anyone that works for IJM that wants to come can come. So they brought 700 people from around the world. Um, I think everybody, but maybe 17 people were able to get visas to come to the States. So there were 5,000 people total, a thousand people were IJM employees. And it felt like heaven, even being in the lobby of the hotel, people coming from all over the world, from Ghana, the Philippines. I mean, just incredible. Um, and for us to all be together in this, you know, uh, in the in the arena where we were celebrating um, this work and to sing this song and and at one point um, on the front row, Jeremy Courtney was on the front row. He had spoken and Gary Haugen, the president of IJM, they're on the front row. And Prop is just speaking to them like, you didn't run away from this. You heard the screams and you ran into it. Oh, I get teary even right now. Oh, man. It, but it was such a powerful moment. And then to sing together, behold, he's coming. He's doing a new thing. And to have this tied not just to the spiritual realm, but to have this tied to real world issues that are being that where men and women of faith are coming at it and saying, how can I be a repairer of the breach? So it was just the, one of the most powerful things I've ever been a part of. Oh, that's incredible. 
how does having that common goal really of just loving humanity and trying to bring Christ's kingdom on earth help to unite people with different with differences because I imagine that at IJM you all have at the conference you would have had a really strong goal something that was just would have knit you together but you were from different countries and backgrounds and even at points possibly like ideologies because even in the Christian faith we have different ways of seeing things so what is it about the idea of the kingdom of God of bringing that freedom to earth that ties you guys together do you think? Well, that's a great question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that just like that. But I think immediately of Katrina and these, you know, any number of natural disasters that we see that occur around the world, uh, even like the terror of a public shooting or something like that. And you see the the very most basic um, nature of of love emerge in that moment of people saying, that's wrong or that's that's a hardship and how do we respond then um in love to like help each other and um in those moments of like our greatest needs so i think when you are when your spirituality is about your own personal holiness you know it becomes so singular it's so siloed and alone it's so um well it's impossible you're alone trying to be holy um, but when we work in community in mission together, and especially when we are, as Jesus has drawn our attention, right out of the desert, the first words of his ministry, uh, of his whole, when he first speaks his, his mission uh, for the spirit of the sovereign Lord is, is upon me to preach good news to the poor. I think when we look to not do everything, not save the world, but to participate in this reconciling work that God is doing at, all over the place, um, it does kind of simplify the narratives and creates a space where we we can have freedom in Christ. We can look at each other um, and see the imago Dei in each other, see the image of God in each other. And um, so I think it, in a way, the, the pressing nature of the work creates unity because the the urgency feels so great the victims are often young, you know, there's something about that protective sense about children or about people that have lost their childhood to slavery. Um, and so I, I just see in the church a, a great awakening. Um, I still hear from time to time people warning about social justice, you know, be careful, don't, I just don't think we need to be warned to be engaged. I don't think we'll ever engage too much, you know? So, um, this summer, I heard a couple sermons that 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 were like that, kind of warning young people about kind of putting social justice above what they would see as the more spiritual things. I just don't know if there is a more spiritual thing than, like Christ Himself, leaving our comfort zone and entering the suffering of another person, and that is what's happening at, at Christmas. As we understand the story, Jesus is in a perfect place of perfect love and community. We don't even understand what that's like. He leaves that to enter the dissonance, the strife, to be a man of sorrows, to be acquainted with our pain and our experience, um, to literally put on flesh and to know what human life is like. So then he says, will you follow me in this way? Will you follow me to the places where they're suffering and, and enter in um, when, even though it's difficult? And I find in that for me, it 
it is not this expenditure of self. It's just not a, uh, the, it doesn't um, end. It's not a consumer mentality. It doesn't run out. It's not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, commodities based, you know, uh, when I enter into those stories and um, there, there's such a richness of, of life, joy, hope, peace, all these fruits of the spirit are found there. It was just like they said, just like they said it would be wrapped in a to talk just a little bit about your career um, and your time in the Christian music industry, if it's all right. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I don't, so a few years back you released Floodplain um, and I think that was your last album of originals Yeah. Um, and you talked a lot about your own journey with depression and things like that mm-hmm. um, with that record. Can you tell me how you've grown and changed as a person since that season, which is mm-hmm. obviously really, really formative and challenging? Yes. Um Man, I think uh, one of the main things that have changed or shifted for me since making the record, well, first of all, the record helped me name things that I had been dealing with for a long time. And I had carried, as a, as a singer-songwriter, so when I came out in 2000 on the radio, so I was independent before that for a couple of years, and then I signed with a label. and um, I was always trying to be true to myself, but there was this a sense about what I was doing um, and my and my feelings even about making art that that it was very pragmatic in the sense that there were certain things that I needed to say that would be faithful to say, and um, that would be the faithful way to go about it, you know. Um, and so that led me to a certain type of storytelling and a certain type of of writing. I think if you go back and listen all throughout there. I'm trying to tell the truth about where I'm at and um, that, so I think that's in there, but I finally reached a place where I honestly said, I don't want to write a record about depression. I, um, it wasn't about sales or anything like that. I just, it was so close to home and I honestly felt a lot of shame about it. Um, And that is maybe the way it had been carried, you know, uh, modeled for me. Um, So I still was in an environment where the faith community I was in didn't have a lot of space for that. And it was seen as a spiritual problem. So I think if I have changed anything at all, it's that I I definitely moved away from that. I went, uh, when I actually wrote the song or or had the idea for the record, I was at the lowest low, lowest point of my, that stretch with depression. And it was a profound one. And I was not, I was yanking at my bootstraps as hard as I could and couldn't get myself out of it. So I was walking along the Mississippi River and I saw this homeless man down by the water uh, in a tent. And I had a lot of thoughts. My first thought was, that's like lakefront property. You know, he's he's got this yeah. amazing spot right on the Mississippi River. But what, what challenges has he faced? What mental illness does he deal with? And um, I looked up to my right and in St. Paul, it's built on a bluff. 
And at the top of the bluff is the James J. Hill house. And James J. Hill was a railroad baron and he was very wealthy and he built this mansion that towers over the whole city. And so I began thinking uh, about this sort of, that these this man close to the water and then there's this sort of secure land. Um, and I was walking on the floodplain, you know, and the waters rise, it, it is sometimes flooded and everything's underwater. And I had heard a story about the immigrants who came to St. Paul had tried to build down by the river because that was the land that they could have and um, that they they would lose. They would kind of gain ground, build a home, and then the, the river would flood and they would lose everything. And so I um, I was just kind of in prayer talking, uh, asking, what do you make of this man? Is it his fault that he's there? Uh, what has he done to sort of earn this this place or not? And um, and then in that moment, realized I was really thinking about myself and and asking, what have I done something to deserve to be here? And am I not doing something to get myself out? And I felt this very sweet reply that felt like the way that I hear from the Lord, which isn't audible, but more an idea that I don't think is my own. And that was the first thought was, I've got folks all over. And I just saw that I've got folks on the floodplain. I've got folks on the side of the bluff. I've got folks at the top of the bluff. That is not your identity. That's not, um, that has nothing to do with, with identity. But I have people on the floodplain and some hearts are built on the floodplain and the waters rise and they have a particular sensitivity. Um, and they also might have a, a particular sense of artistry, you know, and would you write about life on the floodplain? And so it completely changed the the picture for me from one of shame and of waste and of um, kind of like blowing opportunities and the kinds of things that I associated with my depression. And it shifted it to um, that there are places and people that are, they're built with sensitivities that help them see and observe and pay attention to things. And then maybe write about them or maybe document those things. And so, um, and that there are people who wake up every day with a lot of extra rocks in their backpack uh, yeah. and, and the journey is, it's different for them. And so um, in this moment, I felt free then to seek the help that I needed. Uh, Cause I realized if the water's rising, no amount of pulling my bootstraps will get me out of that place. I need to get help. I need a boat. I need someone to come for me in a boat. And after that moment, it was a short time after this that a friend of mine, Steve Brewster, who was the drummer on my first uh, four or five albums, he called and he said he had been given free studio time. And he just invited me to come out and would you bring some songs and let's just play. So it wasn't even set up as making a record. We were just going to, in his words, he called it band camp. Uh, he said, let's remember what we love about this. So I went out to California with a group of friends who had all flown themselves out. It wasn't anyone's one thing. And we just ended up working really hard on these set of songs that I had been uh, putting together. So I say, I asked for a boat and God sent an armada. I also <laughs> went and got real help. And I say, I don't mean real help to but I had gone through different kinds of prayer ministry things. I really needed to know from a clinician, what is happening with my body? What's going on? Um, I just needed to know from someone who, who knew and found an amazing therapist and, and psychiatrist to help me um, navigate. Um, do I need medicine? What do I need to get a foothold? 
And uh, so I think that those things, I'm, I'm just less afraid. The whole shame stigma has been erased, literally evaporated for me. I don't, I don't have an iota of that anymore. And, um, and that's a huge relief. It, it definitely changes everything. Into flesh's every interview with a few random popcorn questions um some of them they're probably like if a fan met you on the street they may ask them or they're just questions that I can't fit anywhere else so we'll see how we go (laughs) um but number one what is your favorite Christmas carol of all time uh oh holy night oh great answer so over the course of your career you've achieved so much and gone on so many tours have you had a distinct like pinch me moment? I can't believe I'm actually living this right now, whether it was performing with someone or, or releasing a record or something. Man, I've had quite a few. Um, <laughs> I would say uh, recently, just this year, I got to um, the 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 uh, New York Times writer, David Brooks, had an event around a um, an art piece that was being unveiled that had been done of Mr. Rogers and, um, David and his wife, Anne had people, uh, come this friend of mine, Wayne Brzezinka had created this beautiful art piece reflecting the life of Mr. Rogers and his wife was there. And so they asked if I would come and do music and I got to sing, it's you. I like, uh, (laughs) Uh, with this whole room of Mr. Rogers' friends, cl- some of them close friends, some people had worked with him uh, at at the public television station for years, and it was an absolutely pinch me moment to get to sing that song with them and um, and with his wife sitting over there just singing every note, every word. Uh, it was it was lovely, and I I have a few exemplars in my life, people I'd like to be like, and he would definitely be one of them. That's the best pinch me moment I've ever heard of. I love that. So good. Um, My last question for you, if you could go back in time, like back to the future and speak to yourself right before you release your first independent record, Mm. knowing what you know now, what would you say to Sarah? Hmm. Wow. Um, I guess mostly, uh, just, it's okay. <laughs> Be yourself. Um, don't look to the left or the right. And um, I did I did feel and sense very beginning that not everyone was going to get what I was doing, but that there would be ears to hear what I was doing. And those people, in a way, I would be their songwriter. And what an honor that is. Um, and it's not a big huge, massive group of people. But I, uh, I, as I age, I'm writing and there are people who are, have kind of been with me all this time. And I, I get to write about sending our kids to college and um, facing any number of things, aging, whatever it is. And um, so I think I'd want to just put her mind at ease that um, 
to be herself and not worry about looking to the left or the right. Later on we'll conspire as we dream by the fire to face unafraid the plans that we've made walking in our winter wonderland. That was the brilliant Sarah Groves. I spoke to her a couple of years ago for a different publication. It was a written interview, and I remember at the time just being so struck by how open she was. And it's not that other people aren't open when they share their stories, it's just that Sarah seems to have such a beautiful understanding of herself and how secret her story is, and she just, it's like she just gives it to you as a gift. And that's not meant to be a Christmas reference, even though it totally is, but thank you, Sarah. It was a privilege to talk to you, and I loved hearing your story. You can go and pick up Joy of Every Longing Heart now, my friends. Go for it if you enjoyed any of the tracks today. It is absolutely gorgeous. You can also connect with Sarah online. You will find her at Groves Road. G-R-O-V-E-S Road. Now, before we wrap up today, a few quick thank yous because this is our last episode for the decade. I know 2020 is coming and everyone's freaking out. It's like Y2K all over again, but it's not. We're going to be okay, guys. I promise. So, uh, just a big thank you to you for starters. Thank you for listening to Between You and Me for over a year now, for joining us with all these amazing stories and for the people who have joined in our conversation. There's been a lot of stuff going on lately, even this week, and you guys have just been so keen to share your thoughts and your love and the wrestle, and I appreciate you. I know that Christmas or the holidays can be a really rough time of year for us. I know that there can be lots of tension with family and religion wherever you sit in that. And I just want to recognize that um, and just remind you that you're amazing, that you are strong enough for this, that you can get through this season. And I really hope that you find the sacred in this and are reminded of the resilience of you and the truth that there is beauty to be found here for you. Thank you to our sponsor, Soundstripe. Always a joy working with you. Also, a reminder, guys, if you love merch, we have merch and we just released some sweet new t-shirts and mugs and stuff with Amy Grant on them and with Michael W. Smith. You know, just some just some old throwbacks, our, our sort of testament or devotion to, to the golden era of CCM, if you like. And if you are keen for retro t-shirts or any merch for that matter, go and check it out. Seriously, the link is in our show notes and you'll also find it on our website. That's all for this week. It is a couple of days to Christmas, so can you give me a Christmas present even though you're not meant to ask for them? And please go and rate us on Apple iTunes, even if you don't listen to us there. It just helps people to find us. Go and click that five-star rating. I feel like I should insert a Christmas joke there. I can't find it because I'm not witty enough, but we'll run with it. Go and give us a five-star rating and type in a few sentences about the podcast. Talk about an Australian accent if you're looking for a starting point. I don't know, but we would really appreciate it. In the meantime, you can also connect with me on betweenyouandmepod.com. We are on socials at Between you, me, Pod, And we will have content coming up over Christmas. We'll be wishing you a good time, probably sharing a few carols, because why not? That is all for 2019. We will be back on January the 10th with a phenomenal guest who I've already had a chat to, and he has some new music coming out in 2020, which you will definitely want to hear. So... Wherever this finds you, wherever this holiday finds you, these holidays, 
and wherever your heart feels at home this holidays, please know that you are welcome in this family or this table or whatever beautiful metaphor that you would like to call a podcast. And I'm grateful to know you and be known by you through this. I love you guys. Merry Christmas, happy holidays and happy new year. We did it. to the Between You and Me podcast. Stay connected by visiting www.betweenyouandmepod.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. For more Christian news, reviews, and interviews, get plugged in to jesuswire.com.